Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Curse me, Rose. Run for your life. Fatality. I'm Batman. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you happen to be. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us for Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Episode 81 for you today, and it represents a bit of a milestone for us, as it is the beginning of Release the Geek's third year. We've had a fantastic time so far across the previous 80 episodes, with particular thanks going out to our master of the digital dark arts, Franco Stratum, and my co-host Vittorio Leonardi, as well as all of the guests we've had on in each of the episodes. This wouldn't be what it is without you. So again, thank you very, very much. Our guest today is Jay Cabos. Jay is an award-winning South African photojournalist and covert geek, although his side photography project will surely remove the covert tag for good. While Jay's day job is working for Forbes Africa magazine, a passion project of Jay's is the Cos We Play project, which is a photographic study of the growing trend of cosplay in South Africa and the stories of the cosplayers themselves. We sat down to chat with Jay about a range of topics, including his path to geekdom, how he moved from photography into journalism, and why he enjoys the stories of cosplayers so much. We pass this over to the diva. Franku, what did the diva have to say? The diva has enjoyed this podcast and rates it completely salt-free. Thank you very much to Franku and the diva for the rating, but for now, without any further ado, please join me, Les Allen, as we release The Geek with Jay Cabos. And now, we're releasing The Geek. Yeah. Does that put your mind at ease a little bit more? Not, not so much at all. <laughs> not at all, really. Okay. I'm sure Jay's fine. Though. I'm sure Jay's fine. I'm sure Jay's fine. You think I'm fine, right? He does TV interviews, so. You do TV interviews? Uh, sometimes, but I'm not so. I, I prefer radio interviews. Yeah? Okay. Um, but yeah, as a journalist, every now and again, you do have to do the duty and go on TV and right. do. Let's report what's on the news. What are your normal speaking gigs? Uh, well, it's usually on CNBC Africa. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jeez. A business channel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not many people understand it. Yeah. The whole like, you know, Jay wanting to do cosplay thing. But it's for me, it's also very much how you describe mm-hmm. your passion. Right. It's also about being passionate about the cosplay community and about for me it's always been about photography and photojournalism okay so i mold the two together in finding people's stories and i find cosplayers stories so unique mm-hmm. um and me being a covert geek well i was going to ask would you consider yourself a geek absolutely definitely I but mean, you're a covert geek yeah well at work i well Oh, it's hard to describe, actually, you know, but I think we've come out of our shell now a little bit more, but... We did an interview uh, with um, uh, uh, Felix Kessel. Felix is the CEO of uh, Owen Kessel Leo Burnett, one of the bigger advertising companies in the country. And the reason we spoke to Felix was he's a CEO of a massive company, of an advertising agency, but he's out of the cl- <laughs> he's out of the closet when it comes to his geekness that he's he, he does LARPing he dresses up as an elf and runs around in a forest um, whacking people with latex swords he does that but he's open about that at his company as well so we wanted to talk to him about what what is it like how was that transition from closet geek to hey this is actually what I get up to you're a covert geek but is it now becoming more accepted at work are you are you viewed as the person with your finger on the pulse of this geek thing? I think that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, uh, I think the best way of saying it is I'm the person who has to describe <laughs> for two hours to my editor how to play Pokemon Go. Wow. I'm the person who has to explain <laughs> what cosplay is when you have to pitch it as a story. Gotcha. And mm-hmm. I suppose the, the interesting thing is I talk to some of the most influential Africans on the continent. Mm-hmm. These are the people who are making huge bucks. Yep. And 
during those interviews, you're dressed quite smartly. Mm-hmm. Whereas most of the time, I'm just quite happy to wander around in my shorts and right. a pair of slops mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, a little t-shirts. And then that, mm-hmm. that's how I am. Sure. So, um, it's, it's always interesting because you are, there's that contrast between talking to these heavy, big businessmen mm-hmm. and, you know, the, do they understand what it is to be a, you know, like a geek? Does it, do yeah. they understand what anime is? Yeah. And do they understand even what cosplay is? But mm-hmm. you'd be very surprised at who do, who does know mm-hmm. what it is. And I think it's, it's definitely increasing. It's definitely on the radars of a lot of people. I'm going to ask you questions about who these closet geeks might be, especially these leaders on the African continent. What was your path to geekdom though? Where did it start for you? I've, I think I've always played computer games, yeah. TV games. So it was gaming? Um, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I've always read fantasy books okay. and yeah. fantasy novels, sci-fi. So mm-hmm. I think probably my journey starts with Mario Brothers 2 on TV game console. <laughs> yeah, okay. And it kind of worked its way into Sonic to the Hedgehog. I always, right. uh, some of the earlier ones, I was, I was definitely one of those kids that enjoyed watching Captain America on TV mm-hmm. or the Gummy Bears yeah. or whatever it was. I loved the animation aspect of it. Sure. And I've grown into that. Even I found anime when I was in high school. Okay. And I remember watching uh, Full Metal Panic was the first anime I ever watched. Fantastic. Yeah. And then from there That's on... That's not I was a bad booked. intro. Yeah. It's a, well, I suppose mm-hmm. it's a lot better than watching Pokemon. <laughs> well, yeah. There are, I can think of worse. I can think of worse starts. <laughs> but yeah... Um, so I've always been a fan of it, mm-hmm. and and I am very nerdy, and uh, you know that that's that's how I approach life anyway. Mm-hmm. It's you know keep keep your eyes open and explore the world. You read, you said you read fantasy sci-fi. Was that you, did your parents encourage this? Uh, they encouraged me to read, but mm-hmm. uh, it's, I think they were happy that I was just reading. Uh, okay. What were some of the David Eddings was yeah uh, one of my original ones. David Eddings and David mm-hmm. Gimmel. Sure. Oh, uh, Gimmel. Authors, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is why I was so mm-hmm. uh, so excited when uh, uh, Mr. Uh, our champion from Icon. Yeah, uh, Mr. Feist. Yes, Raymond mm-hmm. D. Feist was there because I remember mm-hmm. reading Magician. I had to read it like three times. Yeah. Uh, I've actually read it three times in my. That's age. cool. And each time you go back to it, there's that little facet mm-hmm. or those little bits of the story that you actually start understanding. Mm-hmm. And you never understood when you were 12 years old and right. looking over a scrummaging of books, which is, you yeah. know, so it was great to actually meet him. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's very cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I suppose then even in high school, it was also, I did fine arts, so it was mm-hmm. okay. It was acceptable for me to be, you know, a little different. Because you're else. arty. Yeah. And that, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's fair enough. Understandable. Yeah. <laughs> and even in high school, uh, it was also, I uh, did art. So I was always mm-hmm. known as the guy, who, I was in the computer, uh, the com- magazine committee yeah. and uh, working on, you know, doing posters and working on Photoshop and taking photographs. Okay. So it's so always you, been something. I was going to ask about photography. Did you, um, when did photography start for you? Uh, it, it did start, I, I used to have an old Olympus film camera from mm-hmm. Very long ago that I would right. run wander around with, and I actually found my old album, like from some of the original photographs, nice. and then I moved on. But um, I only really started taking photography seriously when I got to university, okay. and we had to go, and I did it as a major for fine arts. Okay. So mm-hmm. from then on, I've kind of always been set on it. Mm-hmm. Now the journalism comes in, in that I. I got very tired of trying to tell an artsy sort of story. Mm-hmm. I wanted to tell the real people's stories. Okay. I found that I had a very, very good connection with people mm-hmm. and with, uh, you know, telling their stories through pictures. Right. Uh, writing stories came afterwards when I got very tired of pitching ideas and then people would take my ideas and then write them. So you... Oh, yeah. After a while, you know, there's, uh, yeah. you know, there, there's a, a lot of stigma against photojournalists because they believe that they're only there to take photographs. But they mm-hmm. actually are storytellers, much like anyone is a writer or, mm-hmm. you know, a filmmaker. So that's kind of when I broke the mold. So I'm one of the few journalists out there that can actually write, shoot, uh, do multimedia, uh, and so I don't do, know what else, your, pretty much anything. Your story from start, yeah. start to finish. Start to finish, that's it. Mm-hmm. And... That's where it comes in with being with Forbes Africa was that the only reason I could get the job was because I told my, my boss that I was like, okay, I can do all these things for you mm-hmm. in, in one person as a job. 
So that's complete kind of package. Good. Yeah, that's it. Very cool. Yeah, and hmm. when you got to when you got to Varsity, where what sort of geeky things were you were you still involved with geeky stuff, gaming, etc., dabbling magic? What sort of things happened that? Yeah, everybody, everybody dabbled in magic. Um, <laughs> laughing. <laughs> Did you dabble? A little bit. You dabbled as well. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's it's amazing that it, you you discuss magic like a cult. Like, when did you get out? Oh, I got out at uh, I got out a long time ago. Um, like just after Ice Ages. Like that's like mid nineties. Don't, Never don't magic look at gathering. me like yeah. Don't don't. Money the gathering is evil. Um, <laughs> so what what were what were your geeky interests at uh, Varsity? Was it more was were you stepping more into your photography art? Yes, and anime. And anime. Anime. Mm-hmm. I've I've watched anime ever since I was at high school. Gotcha. And, uh, it's that was one of the conditions of Karen dating me was that I was allowed <laughs> to watch anime. And was the, this was discussed first up? Uh, Karen, do you watch? I, I had to slowly break her in, you know. Uh, Jay, Jay introduced me slowly to like Naruto mm-hmm. and Bleach, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. Okay. Um, D- actually, Karen, I'm going to ask Jay a question you may not even know. Jay, when it came to introducing anime to your girlfriend, how much research did you put into it? How much analysis did you go, right, she's not going to like this, she is going to like this. Have you ever told her this story? I have to tell you, it was a tough decision. It was, it was. Yeah. <laughs> But I thought I'd go with the tried and tested thing. Yeah. And it, but I think Naruto was the first one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it's, uh, okay. you know, especially the beginning parts of the series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're very cool. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's quite easy to follow the storyline yeah. and not too much having to follow the subtitles. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm thinking it's like trying to, trying to prepare the best mixtape. <laughs> For the person you're trying to impress, it's so true. So, yeah. It really is. Yeah. What? Yeah. What, what is she gonna like? What animes? Yeah. Oh no, no, no. Um, Rotsuki Doji? No, that's probably not a good starting point. <laughs> but you know that one. Do you know? A little bit. A little. <laughs> but you should see. Like she got really yeah. hooked on Sword Art Online. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Love Sword Art. Yeah. Yeah. I. I just binged Attack on Titan. I watched it. I watched the first episode and I binged it inside of the next day and a half. I, wow, yeah. I'm a bit late to the party on that one, that I must admit, but yeah. Well, season two is coming out next year, I think. Yeah. It's 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 a really, really good season. I think I'm just so. going to book a leave. Yeah, this is, <laughs> yeah. well, the only problem is, the problem is it only comes out once a week, so you have to like, uh, either you have to wait for the entire series to finish and then just binge it. I will have then to. Suffer I will have to do that. I'm going to On social media. <laughs> social media embargo for 24 <laughs> <Emojis>. weeks. <laughs> I, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could do 24 weeks of no social media just to do it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that would be a struggle, actually. That would be tough. And if you can't send Japanese that's, holidays... That's six well. months. It's like half... All right, moving on. <laughs> so, so Karen, you're now a bit of an anime geek? Uh, a little bit. A little I, bit. I dabble a little you bit. You dabble, okay. On some of the, um, some of the better animes. Some of the better and oh. some of the better animes. Uh, none of the dross for me. I only want I only want the best. Exactly. <laughs> the ones uh-huh. I've tried and tested. <laughs> yeah. What's his opinion like? Do you do you trust his opinion? Um yeah, he I mean he knows mm-hmm. what I like and what I don't cool. like. So he you know, often we try and we watch the first episode and then mm-hmm. invariably he continues without me. <laughs> 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 um, but there's a few that I've that I've stuck on with. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. What Jay does now is his bedtime ritual is we'll go to bed and I'll spend an hour on Facebook and he will spend an hour watching anime and that's that's our, that is your that's ritual our reading time. time. That, that's <laughs> reading. There were air quotes there. That's our reading time. <laughs> cool. How did you? Uh, when did when did you want to make photography? Like it's now you're a you're a complete journalist and that you can do you can do everything here. Was it that you decided to do photography? This is what I want to do with my life. When did that happen? When was that choice made? Mm, I think it was around 2010 that I made the decision. It's in line with the World Cup. When I okay. finished, I just finished my degree. Right. And I had no idea what I was going to do. There was no ways I was going to. So be I have. I yeah. I have my degree now. Yay! And now I'm out in the world. And what the hell next? Much like everyone else who yeah. finishes a degree and has no idea what they're going to do with themselves. Gotcha. Um, and then I. Um, I'd been picking up the odd job uh, 
doing freelance gigs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, events, for, uh, events, photography, right. you know, nothing too major and stuff like that. But then mm. uh, I started getting more towards the newsy weddings, angle. Weddings, but no, I've never, no. thank God, never had to never do a wedding. Never done a wedding? No, thank God, no. Um, I think that's a, that is definitely a task uh-huh. and a half. Gotcha. And a little bit too high. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so... Uh, the World Cup was coming along, and then I was like, no, I'd, I'd, I'd interned with a place called the Market Photo Workshop, which okay. is in uh, Newtown. Right. And I joined up with them. Uh, was interning as like a stooge, just doing odd daily jobs, and I found out about this photojournalism course they were doing. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, this actually sounds pretty cool. Sure. I'd love to be out there every day. You know, it sure beats doing a desk job. And it, it, it encourages me to, you know, test my photographic skills. And I'm pretty, like, sporty and active. You mm-hmm. know, maybe I can do sports photography or sure. you know, dodge bullets. Who knows, you know? Um, sports photography or dodge bullets. <laughs> okay. Of which I do both now. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I enrolled in this course and uh, I found that I had a real knack for it. Mm-hmm. Um and particularly a knack for finding those weird niche sort of societies and cultures. So that was the first time I ever did a photo essay was with a group of land. My cousins were having a LAN and okay. a photo essay on them. Like the whole, I stayed up with them the whole night, you know, played a mm-hmm. bit of Dodo on the side, smoked a bit of herbly. And then <laughs> uh, we documented the, this whole process. Right. And it, it, it found out that I did that more and more mm-hmm. was... Uh, documenting these off-ball mm-hmm. sorts of cultures. So I, I, I did a stint with uh, the Portuguese culture in La Rochelle okay. uh, during the World Cup. So, uh, Oh, that would have been fan- yeah, where did fantastic. You, where did you come up with that idea? Uh, well, I am Portuguese. Uh-huh. Uh, by My father's Portuguese. So sure. I'm by in vitro. <laughs> What's it? In vitro? No. Uh, I'm by inheritance Portuguese. Sure. So mm-hmm. um, I just thought it would be a really cool place to go cover stories because you always hear about uh, the South African community, the mm-hmm. South African Portuguese community is, yeah. all, is very large yeah. and it is quite extensive. So I thought that was a better place than going to some place like, I don't know, Mafia King and having to find stories there. But I ended up doing mm-hmm. that anyway. Right. But um, uh, it was a good place to start and find, you know, a, a sort of society. So then we ended up mm-hmm. like enrolling and then we went to like Portugal Day and Lishkuda. Uh, okay. And so there's like a tripe and all sorts of, you know, mm-hmm. amazing foods and stuff. And so people like started Lucita, to, Like a day Lucita land type thing. Yeah, yeah. It's very okay. much so. Like that. Right. There's a lot more Harley Davidsons and motorbikes. Very is, that, is that big in the pirate culture? I wouldn't, I, would, I don't know. Maybe. Like Maybe in La Rochelle. Yeah. Any particular, what? They were all there for the tripe? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, a, it's a real, really? it's a real delicacy. But it's okay. like a whole Portuguese day, so you have um, uh, the Rancho Folklorio, the the traditional dancing, right. and you know it's a celebration okay. of Portugueseness. And then right. the the expectation was Portugal was never going to make it through anyway, so you might as well just celebrate. Come and have a come and have a fun time, <laughs> right? Um, Oh, now we have an excuse to have more of a fun time next week because we got through. Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, we, we like celebrating. So, and uh, so it, it turns out that I was, I was quite quick to catch on to these communities, sure. you know, that not, not many people talk about or think about, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, like bring them to the fore, let people understand them. And then right. it kind of, and I also have a kind of this weird comical way of looking at life okay uh, that seems to work through mm-hmm. i've been told that uh the way i photograph is uh it, it's quite structured but it allows the person who's being featured to actually really mm-hmm. speak for themselves sure so it's it's not just a you know muck and drug and shoot you know like i really get involved and i embed mm-hmm. myself a lot okay. in the stories so yeah, that was that. That was the start of it, and mm-hmm. then I wandered around for like two years trying to find a job. Okay, couldn't find a job. Wow! Until eventually, I managed to. I re-enrolled at Wits Journalism mm-hmm. and did an honors degree there. Okay, and uh, came out and known as the photographer guy, and then because you had the skills coming in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it it was like for me that was natural. The the the, the unnatural thing was writing. 
Okay. And my uh, my one of my lecturers, who's still a very good friend of mine, always says, "No, Jay, aren't you glad that I taught you how to write?" <laughs> and I was like, "Dinesh, I wish you just taught me how to use Facebook properly." <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dinesh, damn it! Why didn't you teach Jay how to use Facebook properly? He's spending an entire hour of his evening every night next to his partner watching anime because he doesn't know how to use Facebook. Dinesh terrible and give yourself an uppercut um so you do you do an honors uh honors program to gain the journalism skills yes yeah mm-hmm. so it wasn't quite complete right i needed the full package in order to get a job um what many people do know now is the media industry is struggling a lot okay it is uh the birth of online internet media uh, has re- meant that a lot of jobs are decreasing because publications aren't selling. Right. And it's it's really cutthroat out there. It's, it's not an easy industry to be in. Mm-hmm. And we hear it daily of people getting their jobs cut. And the first people's jobs that get cut are the photographers and the videographers. I don't understand Is that because either. of a more of an emphasis on crowdsourcing that sort of imagery? It is that, yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, a lot of it is community journalism. Right. Uh, where people, they ask people to submit their photographs. But at the end of the day, from a photographer's point of view, is you can't, you know, like you can't beat five or six years of experience. Yeah. I can understand uh, that if somebody's on the scene right now, they give us an image, but it's not necessarily an image that's going to tell the story properly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have the... Well, you would expect them not to have the required skills, but you would, mm-hmm. uh, they would be able to tell you what's happening. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. Instagram filters are not the required skill. This is not what we're talking about. Yeah, these, these are untouched images. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is one of my mandates. <laughs> um, raw footage only. <laughs> and you see it a lot. Uh, community journalism is a fantastic thing. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Social media is fantastic. Mm-hmm. We've been, like, I don't... If I want to find breaking news, I don't even go bother going onto the news channels. Just go on Twitter mm-hmm. because that's where it's breaking. Right. If you want to look up what photographers are doing, Instagram, that's where everyone is. Right. And it's true for... That makes total sense. It is. And the, that's that's mm. just how people have embraced social media. And it's fantastic. Mm. And, uh, you know, I fully embraced it and I love it. Um, digital media is exciting in the way that it can grow. Uh, just from one image, you know, mm-hmm. or one comment, you can have 150 replies against someone who's doing something. Or mm-hmm. uh, you can have, a I don't know, a government official being whistleblown yeah. because of doing something. Or someone who makes a racial remark and being fired because of it on social right. media. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all lessons that we are learning within the last five years. And it's true also with news. We're always constantly trying to find better ways to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And with cos, you know, with cosplay, it's the same sort of thing. You know, like you know, when I first started, uh, it was twenty fourteen. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It was twenty fourteen. Yeah, I knew about cosplay before, but I only mm-hmm. really like got it into the magazine in twenty fourteen. Okay. Um, the magazine. Yeah, uh, Forbes. Uh, okay. I did bring an article, but um, cool. And that that was the first time I actually got something published about it. That was the, it was it took. Took me, it's taken me like months of trying to convince people that this was a real thing, right. that it was actually a growing community. Here's, it's something that comes up. I think it's regular listeners must get bored of this. The, the discussion of credibility behind your interest, that somebody might be interested in cosplay, somebody might be interested in landing, somebody might be interested in magic, uh, even though we just bashed magic. Like, yeah. The... But the search, when you're being laughed at, mocked for your interests, the the main thing that you're looking for is any credible hook that you can use to say, hey, this is actually a valid interest. This is, there is validity here. The common denominator in most discussions tends to be uh, a mercantile one, that once you start saying, look, this is how much money is in this, then it tends to lead the credibility charge. 
I'm imagining, so you're, you're now working at Forbes. We'll get to how you got there. You're working at Forbes. You've made a pitch that you want to do a story about cosplay. What were the angles that you had to say that Look, this is viable, that this is a real community, this is a real interest piece? What sort of stuff were you saying? It's it's totally based on uh, the expectations or the outlooks of technology right. within the African continent. I can't remember okay. the exact figures now. Um, but the growth of technology inside Africa is mm-hmm. exponential. Mm-hmm. And it's it's far behind the rest of the world. They say that probably our tech is, what, five, ten years behind. And mm-hmm. you can recognize what's happening overseas and you can start seeing the you know, the growth happening in South Africa. But it's particularly South Africa. Is, yes. that, is that lag shortening because the world is more interconnected and people can see the trends overseas that the lag of the, five, the 10 to 5 years of, of tech lag into the continent, is that, starting, is that window starting to shorten? I'd like to think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just done a documentary now where we followed uh, Bravado Gaming. Right. And we're doing a uh, the rise of esports, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a real eye opener to work with the guys mm-hmm. who are probably one of the the bigger names yes. in terms of esports in South Africa, and just to see how hard they work and how dedicated they are to it. Now, five years ago, I mean, that would have been a joke. Mm-hmm. People would have laughed at you when you you know you told them that they couldn't be professional gamers. Now it's believable. Mm-hmm. And I strongly believe that it's introductions like Fiber and 4G that have really uh, transformed the way that South Africans believe they can interact with the rest of the world. Right. It's definitely uh, that that bracket is definitely diminishing. Mm-hmm. Um I'm sure we'll get to the stage where we will have our five-year-old or our ten-year-olds who've mm. been living and playing Dota, you know, since they were, you know, since they were young, to be able mm-hmm. to compete on an international level. Yeah, but it's definitely shortened a lot, and the same is with cosplay. You can mm-hmm. see it that the skill levels are always increasing. Mm-hmm. You know, you get the people who are actually starting to become cosplay celebrities overseas. And we had Taylor Taylor Barter uh, being. Wasn't sure. Well, she was invited to go to Turkey for that cosplay event. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Taylor is a, a shining example. But there are others. Like Baka is also a fantastic. Yeah, one. Mm-hmm. and um, there are. Well, we had we had Baka as a as a judge at Icon. So yeah, hat tip to Baka. But investment. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but you can def- I, the way I see it is it's definitely on the increase and. From from being a person who was who had been to a rage in twenty ten, mm-hmm. and to a, who had been to a rage in twenty fourteen, you can see the difference. Uh, not having been like a Lano or anything to that effect, right? You know, someone who is outsider who's always been a fan of it, but never really gone to conventions and stuff. You can see mm-hmm. the difference. You can see the amount of cosplayers walking around, mm-hmm. um, recognizing the characters, and then starting to like grow that fandom. Mm-hmm. And even now, like if I think about it from when I first started that article in 2014 to now, uh, I, I, I'm actually shocked at how quickly it, it has grown. Like mm-hmm. if you go to all these conventions, it's, it's amazing it's a to see the quality. And um, it's a staple. If it's not an event. Well, every, I'm not going to say it's not an event unless it has. Every event now has a cosplay element as in we will have a competition in some form. And it's going to be a core component of the overall convention. And it's only a matter of time before the prize pools get bigger. Mm-hmm. And it's only a matter of time before they actually can become professionals and say, listen, um, I'm actually a well-known figure. Mm-hmm. You know, use me as a celebrity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd like, if I could, I'd like to jump back. How did you get to, uh, you've, you've talked about the story that you pitched for Forbes. How did you get into Forbes? You, I'm sorry, you did say that you were the complete package. I can do this, I can do this, and I can do a bit of this. Now you're signed on as a journalist for Forbes. What were the expectations there? Were you expected to put out stories once a month? What was what was your scope? So um, Forbes is a little bit different from newspaper journalism. It's a magazine. Yeah. And so magazines operate uh, usually three months in advance. 
Right. So it allows you a lot of time to build a feature story, for mm-hmm. instance. So I'm allowed to go a little bit more in depth, which sure. is where I revel in, uh, being able to bring out the flavor or the nut graphs of the story mm-hmm. a lot sure. better. Uh, so Forbes is... I've lost my train of thought. It's all right. Um, Have more wine. Yeah, more wine. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, more wine. That's fine. Celebrity. Uh Let's talk anime. Celebrations. No. Uh, So, um, okay, so we were talking about magazines. We were talking about Forbes, and it's got a three-month sort of period. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I first started off, I was doing the menial stuff. Uh, You've got to work hard. And the way the newsroom works is you usually have to pitch your own stories. Mm Mm-hmm. So you, you do have to be aware of what's going around and then you can start getting your ideas into the, the, the table or something. Mm-hmm. But I remember some of the first stories I did was I did a photo essay for uh, the, the Rand Refinery. One of the first articles I ever wrote was about uh, three South African guys who had one attender to build a wind farm uh, in the Eastern Cape somewhere. Mm-hmm. And... You know, it's 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 finding those sorts of little stories. You know, like a, a journalism isn't always just about being able to do the things you want to do. You also have to do the you know the stuff you don't want to do. Have to do like take photographs of politicians, which is like my pet hate, <laughs> which I end up having to do all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I remember those those first five or six months were mm-hmm. hard graft, yeah. and it was you had to earn your place. But you you may if you can make yourself indispensable, um, that's where you can really shine. Mm-hmm. And so it it was meager pay. Journalists don't really get paid at all. Um, you do it because you're passionate about it, and you're right. passionate about telling the story. Okay. I think some of the things that really pulled me through was they sent me to Zambia. Of all places, I didn't even know where Zambia was on the map. Lies. I didn't know where uh, the capital was. But I ended up flying into I the capital. I hope this knowledge improved before you joined CMBC. <laughs> well, it was quite funny, actually. <laughs> when I had my interview, yeah. um, uh, my, my now boss, Chris, uh, my editor, Chris Bishop, he asked mm-hmm. me, you know, okay, well, uh, do, you, do you know who this person is? And he showed me a picture of like this uh, rich billionaire. You're not on pointing the cover. at Karen. No, 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 absolutely okay, not. Cool. No, no. So, yeah, I know her. Yeah, I date her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. I could tell. I could say definitely tell if it was totally her. I could totally spot her in yeah, a lineup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he says, uh, do you know who this person is? I said, no. <laughs> and he said, uh, it's Christo Visa. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. then, so the interview was... Uh, stumbling along and he said well gotcha. um you know who would you who would you ever choose to photograph you know if you, if you mm-hmm. came and joined us who would you be able to get us and i said julius malema like like first name that came to my head clang and he said really yeah. mm-hmm. and he said why and i said well because he's changing south africa mm-hmm. and he's changing the way politicians um work and operate right. and so the eff is going to transform the country mm-hmm. and that prediction holds true so it's it's just about have being. You, um, have you pho- have you uh, have I photographed? Yes, yeah. I have photographed Julius. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, on quite does a few have, occasions. Does he have a preferred side? You, you know, <laughs> is uh, he a diva? <laughs> is he? A, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but I would say that amongst politicians, yeah, him and Mamu Simani mm-hmm. have the biggest presence when it comes to being on stage mm-hmm. they have this way about them that holds right. the crowd okay. and it really does get you in the mood and emotionally they can play with your strings and mm-hmm. you, you even feel like as a journalist and you're supposed to be impartial and neutral yeah. that you start playing along with the crowd that's when you know someone's really got a lot of power right Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's he definitely has that gotcha and it's quite scary actually that someone can be able to do that to you but yeah, well, we'll see how things lead in that mm-hmm. sort of field. But sure. it's, it's, I've been very fortunate in the people that I've met. I mean, I've met Nkosa Zamet Lamini Zuma. I've met uh, Paul Harris, Laurie Dippenau. I was going to say that while journalists might not get paid a lot, you're going to have a level of experience and access to experiences that the everyday run-of-the-mill folk just will never get a chance to. Um, yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, I've been to Maricana so many times I could tell you where every rock is on that damn hill. Wow. And I've been there at midnight when uh, Jacob Zuma announced the results of the Maricana Commission. 
I remember having to drive at, I don't know, we heard about the news at like 3 a.m., uh, 3 p.m. And we had to drive through into Rustenburg from mm-hmm. Santon outside in gridlock traffic to get to at this three place p- by deadline. Crap. And we managed to make it just as Jacob Zuma had finished. But uh-huh. no one was on the hill because no one, you know, no one really has a TV or anything like yeah. that or... Um, and a it turns out, device to watch it anyway. yeah, okay. well, so it, it, it just kind of reflects on the idea that, you know, some people are over it, mm-hmm. you know, Americana didn't really happen, but it did, you know, it did. And the reality is, you know, that's it's very four shocking. years ago now. Yes. I mean, that's how time flies now yeah. in, in this day and age. Uh, some of the other things are, we, we covered the platinum strike extensively. Right. Yeah. Which required more drives into Rustenburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I've been shot at. I've had to dodge a couple of bullets every now and then. Uh, mm-hmm. I was at the union buildings uh, when the hashtag Fees Must Fall campaign was going there, and I got my eyes I'm burnt looking out. at a photo that you've got on the wall here, and it's a stunning photo. Um, and we're an audio podcast, so I'm going to have to get you to describe what's happening in this photo. Yeah, so um, it's actually yeah, hanging up. Um, it's, it was before the union buildings. Right. And it's a photograph of some of the VIT students who were protesting. And I went on my own accord after work uh, before all the big hoo-ha started. Before it started dropping. I actually oh, walked okay. there because I was worried that my car was going to get trashed. Right. But um, Karen actually came along with me. And that's when I said Did she get a byline on this photo? Uh, no. No, it's not no. my photo. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, Wow, you have no. got her well trained. <laughs> no, no, it's not, it's not mine. It's not mine. It's his. It's not mine. She knows a lot about crediting photographs because I I, I complain about it a lot because I find mm-hmm. a lot of the time my photographs get stolen like online, right? And then I have to hunt the guys down and mm-hmm. ask them to remove it, or else they must pay me. So right, um, that's also one of the the dangers of putting a photo out. Mm-hmm. But you know, this this was something at that stage. This photograph was taken. Uh, people weren't really thinking that it was going to get as big as it did. Mm-hmm. You know, at that stage, it was just, you know, a bit students, students rising because of fees. I mean, like, yeah. who really cares? You know, it happens every year. Right. And then it turned into this global, well, this national issue. Mm. And it still is. And there's more pain to be coming up now. Uh, it's growing again. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, when it culminated to the union buildings, uh, it was Friday. We just finished our diary meeting and then I saw it on TV. And I said to the guys, I've got to go. I just, I have to go. And so I remember packing my bags, um, my camera bag, because I always keep it with me. Mm-hmm. I, I had to, there were no, uh, there were no cars or anything. So I had to, I paid my own money, uh, caught the car train, yeah. got all the way to Hatfield and then had to run like three and a half Ks to get to the union buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get there, my phone got stolen. So I had no way of knowing, letting people know that I was okay or anything. <sighs> I got the photographs, um, got, my, got my eyes like blasted with tear gas, and then ended up having to run all the way back to the car train station, catch the car train all the way back to Santon, and then got my stuff uploaded before everyone else. Because why? Everyone else was in a car and they got stuck in traffic. Wow. So it's, it's stories like that, that, you know, mm-hmm. you just feel like it's, you, you just feel that you have to do it. And I get that urge a lot. And that's, that's also what happens with the cosplay stuff. And mm-hmm. it's, Karen can attest to this because every weekend I'm like, okay, let's go. Why don't we, why don't we just go meet up with, you know, Let's go this document person. the cosplayer. Let's go organize <laughs> yeah. something. Let's do two this weekend. Let's do two this weekend. <laughs> and that's how passionate I am about it. And the whole, you know, the geek verse of it is there's something that keeps drawing me back. And until I've satisfied that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have to keep going back for more, mm-hmm. and this is this is where it's 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 so powerful because I believe that the photography elements in cosplay mm-hmm. uh, really uh, allows the cosplayer themselves to achieve their ultimate goal, which is complete cos uh, you know complete fandom, complete emotion yes. in that character, and that's that's what I always try remember whenever I go out and photograph mm-hmm. is. We want to tell their story, but we also want to help them achieve who it is that they want to emulate. It's because incredibly it means admirable. something to them. Who was your first? Who was the first person you decided? You know what? I'd like to. I photograph you, 
which, I mean, you tell a cosplayer that I'm going to bring out a camera and, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fait comply. Who was the first person that you said that you actually want to go, you know what, I want to tell your story? Who was that? Uh, Janine and Clint Hertog. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope I said that right. Janine and Clint from... Uh, yeah, Janine and Clint, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Janine uh, from Kali Kitty Cosplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we got to give a shout-out to Clint's pens. Oh, yes. yes. Clint, you're doing awesome work with the pens. Uh, pens are fantastic. I, was, it, I, I ran into Janine at, at Cresta like three weeks ago and said, I need Clint's number so I can get a pen. But he's in the middle of a big order for a company. I hope that order went well, Clint, and we will hit you up for some pens at some point. Yeah, go on. Sorry. Absolute great course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and I, I saw them at Rage, and mm-hmm. they were dressed as Legend of Zelda characters. Yes. And... I just said, no, well, they mm-hmm. were telling me about their Monster Hunter, hunter outfits. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monster Hunter? Yes, yeah. And that they'd won a prize for it. And at that stage, I didn't, wasn't quite too sure about how the whole cosplay competition thing sort of worked. Yeah. So I thought they were a really good person, a good group, because it was a, you know, a husband and wife pair. They spend a lot of time building their cosplays. They spend a lot of money building their cosplays and they, they seem to be quite successful and they're well known within the community let's let's see what they have to offer right so I ended up going to their house on it was a Friday afternoon and I said to them I hope you guys are dressing up because we're going to do photographs with you guys in mm-hmm. cosplay and they they took to it and so we did the interview with them actually in cosplay cool and at their house, so the, my idea was that I wanted to take a photograph inside their house, mm-hmm. and then we would go to another separate location, and try emulate, you know, the actual monster hunter verse. You know, you know, you guys are battling a dragon, yes. sort of thing. And yeah, from there I was like, oh no, this is great. Right. I, I can do more of this. Mm-hmm. And now it's it's like thirty two. Now we've done many, managed to do thirty two different stories of cosplayers from wow. around the country. And still more to come because mm-hmm. I haven't got tired of it yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I, want, I, will, I, I will want to talk more about this, but I'm thinking I want to tie back in now to find out about all the geekiness hidden inside of Africa. Who are the biggest geeks on the African continent when it comes to politicians, when it comes to people that you've interviewed through CNBC, through Forbes? Who are the closet geeks? Name and shame them. I'd have to think hard. I think probably the most uh, ones that use technology a lot Mm -hmm. uh, is Paul Harris. Yeah. Now, Paul Harris is one of the founders of Mm R&B, or First Rand. And um, he is also one of the innovators that brought... Uh, banking to your cell phone. So he was at part of, he was the head of First National Bank when sure. they did their whole campaign. So right. the, the nut graph is worth roughly about $200 million. So um, he... Only, only to um, Only, only, yeah, yes. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he actually is quite a, a closet geek and he's told me mm-hmm. um, that he's nuts for apps. All right. So uh, when I did my interview with him, we were having a little chat, and he's like, uh-huh. no, like he was trying to explain to his wife how um, Uber works. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So uh, I think he's probably one of the, uh-huh. you know, like uh, the guys that embrace technology completely. But I mean, for sure. someone who's like at the forefront of innovation when it comes to mobile mm-hmm. banking, right. and, you know, like you have to be mm-hmm. at, at that sort of level. Let's think who else would be. Hmm. I haven't seen anyone playing Pokemon Go. No. I'm sure that'll show up in Parliament at some point. Yeah, I'm sure, yes. Yeah. It's going to happen. It saves them falling asleep, I guess. Yeah. Only if the poker stop. Yeah. Could you imagine the emails from <laughs> something.gov? Hi, Pokemon Go people. Could you please do something about on the floor? <laughs> Could you make it a poker stop? That would be great. It would definitely attract a lot more people into the public space. 
you would have a theatrical the public gallery yeah you would have a lot of people sitting there the politicians might actually stay awake as well oh yeah yeah we're totally taking an interest in our civic duty now right what um you said you've done profiles of 32 cosplays is that right yes is this all with a goal in mind? As it, well, you're doing each of them because you're, you're enjoying the story, you're finding the story, you're finding out about them and their passions. Is it building to something? Or are you not allowed to say? No, no, no. I am. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I've always wanted to make it a, into a photo essay. Mean, sorry, I just realized how stupid that is. Are you not allowed to say, no, I am. It's my own thing. Yes, I yeah, can do of whatever I want. I, <laughs> <laughs> I really apologize for I am. I'll do whatever I want. <laughs> no, um, uh, I'd, I'd love to see it one day as a. Um, Thank you. I'd love to see it one day. Karen's as, on on uh, yeah, wine filling duty. duty. Yep. Yeah. Being the good wife. Thank you. Oh. that is not me weeing. <laughs> Sounded like a good flow though. Well done. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Um. <laughs> Oh, we, we don't edit this at all. Okay. That's cool. For <laughs> yeah, we, we don't. There's Cheers been one. To Cheers to that. Cheers <laughs> to that. There's been one instance, I'll tell you later. But, um, yeah. So, uh, I've lost my train of thought. Wait. Um, what is your project that you want to work towards? Um, yes, ultimately, I'd love to see it as a, a completed photo book. Mm-hmm. Um, but... The more I've been doing the project, the more we've been enjoying, and this is where Karen comes into the story, mm-hmm. is the video sort of element to it. We found we've had a huge response mm-hmm. in terms of going digital. So less text, which is what I was actually quite heavy in when we started, right? Um, and more video sort of based work. Mm-hmm. So I actually ultimately see us, you know, maybe we, we could end up being, I mean, I think the quality is starting to get to the stage where we're competing with a be-down boogie, you know, like where you can actually raise international mm-hmm. standards in terms of cosplay videos. Um, I strongly believe that South Africans have good stories to tell. I strongly believe that African cosplayers have strong story to, uh, stories How, to tell. What is, it, what is the presence like in the rest of the continent? I mean, you've got... South Africa at the bottom, we know that we've got cosplayers here. If you start from the border all the way up, I mean, you can even take it up into Egypt, take it Western Tunisia. You've traveled. What's it like through the rest of the continent? Very quiet. Okay. But I will say there were a number of spots, a number of Pokemon stops. Right. (laughs) uh, Poker stops in Gaborone, uh-huh. which I frequented often, and it's actually how I find stories, <laughs> because that's where everyone was hanging out. Um, it's where people connect. It is. Um, oh. I believe that the interior of Africa, which hasn't had so much infrastructure built, mm-hmm. is going to base themselves on mobile. So you, the more mobile... Uh, 3G elements and uh, 4G mm-hmm. and going on to 5G if in the future, that's when you'll start seeing the rest of Africa picking up on it. It mm-hmm. is a global trend. There's no point in denying it. It reflects technology. It reflects gaming. It re- mm-hmm. reflects fandom. Mm-hmm. And that is the reality. Cosplay is going to be across the continent. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you can you can make the case that... Uh, actually, I'm really woeful here. I'm going to embarrass myself by saying that I don't know who just won the Dota 2 Internationals. Was it Evil Geniuses? I think I saw it, yeah. I haven't, because I was in Gaborone, I didn't really, I wasn't able to follow it because of the streaming. The kid the kid from Pakistan. Yes, yeah, he was like, he's, it's like he's 18 now years 17, old. Yeah, he's 17 now. Last year he won, he was part of the team that won 6 million. So he's automatically a millionaire from there. If Evil Geniuses got up again this year... He's already a multi-millionaire because he's now won um, over a million again. Now, he was a 16-year-old kid. He started playing Dota back in Pakistan when he was seven or eight, something along those lines. And now all of a sudden, he's in America, his family's in America, and he's won over two million, more than $2 million. There's no reason why that can't be a kid from Cameroon or from the DRC 
or from Nigeria, or from Zambia, or from SA. So it's almost a fait accompli that these international trends, they're going to have to happen here because Africa's going to get the same tech. Yeah, it's, it couldn't be truer. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of European scouts, uh, European scouts are actually looking out to Africa. Really? As the potential, because these are the people who have raw talent, mm-hmm. who haven't really been around the system or expecting, you know, huge sums of money. Right. And it's the same as with, uh, well, it, it, it's the same as with football scouts, mm-hmm. is Africa has a lot of potential and it will have a lot of potential and it's, it's raw yeah. and it needs to be nurtured. But you will find that you will start seeing, you know, those spatters of, Africans going across overseas, making a name for themselves mm-hmm. and starting to build on those characters. Mm-hmm. And it's only a matter of time. So that's that's esports. We can say that cosplay would pretty much go the same route. Do you feel that there might be more and really I'm I'm actually pigeonholing the entire continent here when I say that it's possible that there could be like traditional obstructions. Why would you do that? That's not serious. That's not. Do you think that these obstacles in Africa might be tougher to overcome because of the traditional nature? Or is it that the changing nature of tech and the changing nature of the continent is going to make that transition easier? It's actually a very difficult question you bring mm-hmm. up because I've covered stories. Um, in sport mm-hmm. where you would be flabbergasted at, you know, the response. Flabber my ghast. Tell me these stories, please. So <laughs> one of the Olympic teams that are actually competing now at the Rio Olympics. The and South we don't African have to Olympics. tell, we don't have to say who it is. Okay. Oh, okay. Asanati Jim is, uh, he grew up in the Eastern Cape mm-hmm. and it's a, he's part of uh, uh, the, wrote uh, the sailing for 70 mm-hmm. class mm-hmm. and he teamed up with his coach Roger Hudson and there was only by chance that Asanati was actually ended up on a boat he would never have been on a boat uh, before you grew up in the middle of a rural mm-hmm. eastern cape he was on holiday with his cousins ended up on the boat mm-hmm. uh, the, he got spotted mm-hmm. and they realized this guy was raw talent mm-hmm. So it ended up that he was being coached and then the coach ended up pairing with him. And then now they are an Olympic team. They qualified for Rio like years ago. And they actually are incredibly competitive Mm -hmm. considering the fact that the SA SA yachting has not that much money to itself. Uh, The Olympics... uh, They are like... It's the weirdest combination. You know, you've got a white... A male who's mm-hmm. been part of a sailing community for years and years and years. He grew up on a boat, and mm-hmm. this person who just got up by chance, right? And now they are competing with the world's best. Mm-hmm. And Asanati was saying to me that he he had to spend years trying to explain to his parents one the fact that you know, like being on a boat and competing for a sport was a sport. Because all they believed was like soccer, Fishing rugby, and yeah. stuff is completely, you mm-hmm. know, out of it. And then it's also sure. the, the whole stigma of you are now on water. And, you know, for a lot of communities in rural communities, you know, who've never lived by the sea or anything right. like that. How do you explain to them what it is that you're doing on the ocean? Mm-hmm. Right. So I can totally relate and we see, I've seen it a lot in the the documentary we've been doing with the esports players. Yeah, mm-hmm. is you know trying to explain to your parents that you could you actually good yeah. at playing Call of Duty, and like you're you're ranked mm-hmm. incredibly high. It comes back to it comes back to a credibility thing that you go, hey, I am ranked internationally. I'm one of the best players in the country. I could represent this country in this sport. Could also win a bit of money. Yeah. Well, the, the team that uh, Jay was covering for his esports story at uh, EGE, mm-hmm. they won, I think, 100,000 rand? Was that Bravado? 
Yeah, yeah. Bravado. Mm-hmm. And they, they... Well, Telcom threw down a bar this year, didn't they? Yeah, it's a million, uh, the, but it's a split prize pool Yeah. Uh, between the Dota and Call of Duty. Uh, oh, so it's a, it's a bar in total yeah. across But it, it's okay. still a massive prize pool uh-huh. for them, and yeah. we're definitely going to be start. at Rage to cover it. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. We'll see you guys there. Yeah, for sure. And it's always, you know, like that's the thing is amongst esports, uh, particularly this year, has been incredible the amount of. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, prize money that's been shot through. I think last year the total amount was 150,000 rand. Right. And this year alone, like you've got Telcom, which is funneled in like a million rand for mm-hmm. one uh, one event. Yeah. So you can see that it's definitely on the rise. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the international where the prize pool was over 20 million. Yeah. US, Dara. Yeah. <laughs> it's It makes, it just makes me wince. That I wish I was 20 years younger with sharper eyesight and better reflexes. But anyway, do you know what? Hey, that's fine. I can tell you a lot of the guys who are, um, <laughs> who are coaches are actually wishing that it had been them and not. Mm. But I guess, it, I guess I now understand how like old time athletes feel. The guys who were playing in the 60s, 70s, even before that, 60s, 70s, 80s. And all of a sudden things start going pro in the 90s. And now 2016, you've got... LeBron James just signed a $100 million deal for three years. Well, you know that Terry Payne sold his gold medal. What? That should never happen. But he's now the president of Southampton, which is fantastic. And I think he's a great sportsman. (laughs) And he's done well for himself. But it was just that day and age when it was, you know, professional sports... Mm. You know, even football wasn't, you know, like as professional as it goes through the years. Mm -hmm. That's it. But I think what's going to happen is Mm -hmm. that esports is going to get onto that same level. Yeah. I'd love to see the day when the Lionel Messi of esports is better than the Lionel, you know, is more popular Mm -hmm. than the Lionel Messi of football. There are areas where those people, where it already happens for those people. Uh, But we're, we're now talking mainstream. That mainstream acceptance of an esports star would equate to a sports star is effectively where you're going. Okay, cool. We're actually coming up to the hour. Really? That We're, quick? Yeah, it's been that quick. Yeah. So what I'm going to do, Jay, is I'm going to throw to you the, the, the question that we like to throw to, to every guest. Because we would like to interview cool people who are doing cool things Um who might act as a bit of an inspiration to other people who are listening, other geeks who might even cosplay geeks, even photography geeks, people who are trying to do something. Do you have any particular pearls of wisdom, any bit of sage advice that you might drop that you might think would be beneficial and useful for anybody listening? Like what ISO should we set for indoor shooting? Sixteen hundred always. Sixteen hundred always. All right, cool. No, no, always. All right, and then we're done. No, we're clear. No. <laughs> I think um, just follow what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. It's what's worked for me. I, I believed it thoroughly. I I wore down a number of people to get where I am, and uh, I I still believe. So tenacity helps. Yeah, tenacity, plenty of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. Sage advice. Uh, it doesn't have to be sage. It can be just off the cuff. Crack open a fortune cookie and read whatever's on there. Please don't do a desk job. <laughs> <laughs> no desk jobs for the geeks. All right. Well, you have to to start, but then get out as soon as you can. Here's some advice, right? Yep. If you think that you're going to be an accountant 10, 20 years from now, don't even think about it. Because 10, 20, 10 or 20 years from now, computers are going to be doing all the accounting and maths jobs that we can possibly imagine. If you want to make it in the world, become a creative, become someone who's got innovative ideas and be the person who is the one who creates it and become an artist. Use those ideas and then re-implement them into society. That's what you've got to do. That is really, really good. How? Not everybody can be creative. How, actually, okay, here's something that that may be a little bit different. 
somebody who wants who isn't really creative they've never dabbled in fine arts they've never dabbled in anything of a creative process at all wouldn't be photography wouldn't be cosplay wouldn't be whatever they don't feel that they're creative what would be a simple exercise or a simple activity that you could recommend for somebody here's something that can start getting you creative what would you recommend I really want to say pick up your cell phone and start playing games why <laughs> because that's where all the innovation is coming from mm-hmm. uh, if you look at things like Pokemon Go yeah. uh, if you look at uh, what was it before that it, I, I keep forgetting it was Ingress Ingress was the one Candy Crush, Candy Crush yeah, um, Angry Birds Angry Birds before that yeah. um, innovation is coming from technology mm-hmm. and new ideas are coming from technology so if you want to be a creative just just expose yourself to more tech I would say that yes mm-hmm. embrace it and you know you, you'll find the inspiration once you understand what it is that you're playing with mm-hmm. and working with that's pretty cool Jay thank you so much for your time Karen thank you so much for the comments from the cheap seats that was great <laughs> and pleasure. thank you for the topping up of the wine it's a pleasure. The wine was fantastic. We're in Cape Town. Of course, the wine was fantastic. That was Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. What the chain of command is, it's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in rut and command here. To contact the show, you can email us at releasethegeek, one word, at geekxp.co.za. Thanks for listening. I'll be back.